Hey guys, welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for us to pause and remember that God is at work in our mess. Well, I am Jen Jewell, and I have the tremendous honor of hosting this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which unleashes a brand new story of hope and truth and encouragement right into your speakers, your earbuds, every other Tuesday. And back with me today as my co-host is my good friend and pastor's wife, the Amy Groeschel. Y'all, we are actually partnered with the women of our church, Life Church, because we love the local church. Yet we are also all about locking arms with brave women who are following Jesus from all over the world, from all over the greater Capital C Church. You know, here at The Messy Table, we frequently attempt to dig beneath the surface, to get behind the scenes, and to talk about those things we might not see on Instagram. But I know, and you know, there is always a story behind the glory. And that is especially true when it comes to our guests for today. Jill Donovan is a wife, mom, and a law school professor turned entrepreneur who is now the founder and CEO of an Oklahoma-grown business that started as a messy hobby in her guest room, but has basically exploded over the past 10 years. Jill's business, Rustic Cuff, specializes in all kinds of cuffs and other adorable accessories, many of them holding purposeful words like prayer changes things, or embrace the detours in life, or let your faith be bigger than your fear. Jill is passionate and creative and driven and insanely generous. She's actually written a book called The Kindness Effect, Experience the Power of Irrational Giving. And she also hosts a podcast called Finding Your Get To, which we're definitely going to touch on today. Her usual, there's a surprising backstory as there often is, because no one is immune from real life. But it also seems like that somehow those threads of purpose and pain are woven together. So, Grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join Amy and me for a chat with Jill. All right. Well, I am here with Amy, and we get to interview an amazing woman today, Miss Jill Donovan. So welcome to thank the Messy you. Table. Thank you, Jen, for having me. And Amy, thank you so much. So yes, glad you're here. Yes. Jill, you have been on the list of guests that we That's have right. wanted to invite. And, on the radar. Um, this one could probably be multiple episodes because <laughs> there's so much to dive into. Please tell our listeners a little about who you are. Okay. I'm Jill Donovan, and I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. Grew up in Pensacola, Florida, and found my way to Oral Roberts University. Good you, such a sweet wow. 16 uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then I met my husband my sophomore year, and we married 11 years later. Wow. Yeah, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. <laughs> there you go. And we have two daughters, um, ninth grade and seventh grade, uh-huh. actually 10th grade. In my mind, <laughs> I just held her back. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Um, and I get to go hang out with... 50 of my closest friends every day at a place called Rustic Cuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because you founded and own Rustic Cuff, which is amazing. It's fun. Somebody asked me yesterday, this college girl asked me yesterday, has there ever been a day where you just felt like giving up and quitting? And I can say, honestly, it'll be 10 years this year. Not a day did I ever want to quit. Now, hard, hard days, but never wanted to just quit. Yeah. And I think it's saying that when the grace lifts, it's time to shift mm-hmm. and the grace has not lifted. That's Aww. so good. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've had massive success and been another one of the entrepreneurs that has put Oklahoma, you know, on the map. So you you didn't want to even quit in the pandemic. How has it been this last year? If we can go right there yeah. mm-hmm. right now. It was the hardest year, but the best year. Really? Oh, awesome. And I don't mean best in revenue, but... When I look back at myself 
12 months ago, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I am the same person. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Tell us more. Yeah. Because I had to do really hard things. Mm-hmm. And I don't like hard things. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, who does? Let's I'd take like the easy path. path. Uh, yeah. I like the easy path. But this was the hardest year that produced the most growth personally, but really as a leader mm. that... I, I mean, I never wanted to be a leader. Mm-hmm. I, I played soccer for OU, never wanted to be the captain mm-hmm. because it meant you had to make hard decisions. Yeah. So in the, what I heard Steve Jobs, he said, a quote, if you want people to like you, sell ice cream. Don't be a leader. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. And I never wanted to be an RA. Yeah. Although I had I like to lead with my friends. Uh-huh. I did not want to be a leader. And I this can year, relate to that. Yes. I can totally relate yeah. to that. This year. I had to run to the mountain instead of just standing there and staring at it. And by running to the mountain, it was the only way that I was going to get over the mountain. And by hard things, I mean, personally with people and having to pivot, had to pivot. That's by the way, flexibility. I, I swore I'd never say that word again. I never want to hear the word pivot. But by doing the hard things a year later, I look back and realize I am not the same. I'm not the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So that's wonderful, man. We have all learned flexibility this year, haven't yeah. we? Even this recording today, we did have to reschedule once, which is great because the last one I had to reschedule like four times. Right. So, yes. Right. And I was thankful that we ended up picking this week and not next week because next week my kids are going to be home virtual learning again. So, oh, you know, uh, yeah. it's just you're pivoting. Yes. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yes. You said it yeah. again. So a very successful business owner, entrepreneur, just an amazing leader. I'm sure that in the past, like you just alluded to, that it hasn't always been just roses and an easy road. I'm sure there have been some hard things. So give us some more backstory on you choosing to step out and start this business. I guess what made you start it to begin with? So it goes back to childhood. I was telling you before the podcast, I grew up Jewish. Both my mom and dad yeah. are Jewish and grew up in the synagogue. And being Jewish, we had a lot of like, um, it was one word professions, doctor, lawyer, <laughs> nurse, you know, you had a path that was set for you. you. Graduated high school, you went to a school mm-hmm. and you got a profession and mm-hmm. everybody in my family, as far as I could see, my grandfather was a judge. You just You had mm-hmm. this profession. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to be a doctor, a lawyer. (laughs) But my mom, uh, somebody gave her a Pat Boone's book, which was just unheard of as far as my entire Jewish family. You don't talk about Jesus at Mm -hmm. all. And somebody gave her the book. She read it. And there was something that was pulling her towards Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's a little seed. And my dad started realizing this. And he said, Judy, we're going to go on a vacation because he knew if he took her to Vegas, then <laughs> it would pull her away from her desire to learn more about Jesus. Wow. And so when they got to Vegas with a couple friend of theirs at Caesar's Palace, which is now Caesar's Palace, it was another hotel then, on the marquee it said, in concert, Pat Boone. Wow. wow. And That's great. they, my parents' friends who knew my mom had just read the book said, you need to call Pat Boone's room right now and tell him you just read his book. And she said, I'm just a Jewish girl from Baltimore why am I calling Pat Boone? And he was my mom's idol, by the way. He was a big movie star sure. mm-hmm. for all your 18-year-olds that are listening. Uh-huh. If you've never he heard might. of Pat Boone. He's like the Justin Bieber now. And she said, I'm not calling. And my dad, who was rather shy, it was like God was speaking to him. He said, Judy, you're going to call Pat right now. Wow. 
And so she said, this is embarrassing, but I will. And so she called, left him a message and just said, my name's Judy Reamer. I'm a Jewish girl from Baltimore. I read your book. Thank you. (laughs) She left a message with the hotel. Uh, and I'm here in Vegas. In Vegas, <laughs> yes. Pat Boone came back to his room, and as he tells the story, there were a list of 20-some names that people had called him. And my mom's name was somewhere in the middle, and he said God spoke to him and told him to call my mom back. Oh. He did and invited her and my dad to the concert that night and said, come backstage after the concert, and I would love to talk to you. Mm. So they went to the concert, and... Till three o'clock in the morning, Pat, who knew his Bible so well, knew my mom wouldn't really listen to him if he went through the New Testament, mm-hmm. took her through the Old Testament. Oh, wow. And at three in the morning, she got saved in what? his dressing room. He baptized her in the swimming pool. What? The what? next day, baptized wonderful in Vegas. dad, baptized in Vegas, <laughs> while my dad sat by Sounds and like watched. <laughs> and she came back the only Christian in the entire Jewish family. And I was telling you it's a hundred percent Jewish on both sides. Mm. And her life was forever changed. Mm. Four children got saved. My dad got saved five years later and Pat every year he would continue to reach out to my mom to teach her about the Bible. He would send her cassette tapes and talk her through the Bible and, um, wow. I even had him on my podcast, yes. by the way, to oh. thank him after all of these years. So it has been, I'm 51, but when I, oh last my. year, because your um, life was so impacted, totally impacted. And you're, you're thinking, what does this uh, have to do with rusted cuff? But yes. this was my journey. It ch- forever changed the trajectory of, oh. of our oh, family. Yes. And it's the reason that from that point on, instead of just living just to pursue a profession, I knew I had a calling, a purpose. And I decided what God wanted me to do was to be an Olympic gymnast. Oh, Mm -hmm. of course. That seems like a natural uh, progression. Were you in gymnastics? So I was in gymnastics and that was my dream. (laughs) Because I I was a hardcore gymnast growing up. I was. Yeah. You looked like a gymnast. Yeah. I, I, (laughs) I, I was, you know, that's why I started maturing with my body. I've like, I said you played soccer in college, which is amazing. Well, I really loved, love Nadia Comaneci. Yeah. It's Comaneci. I don't know how exactly they say it different ways, but I think she lives in in the seventies and Norman, I think. Yeah, yeah. Norman. And Mary Lou Retton was, I, I Shannon just. Miller does. Does Nadia as well? Yeah, Nadia does with Bart Connor. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, unless she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that might be old yeah. news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? So I had this dream and I was that girl that would go four or five days a week. I was part of a team and I was so excited until one day my coach told me that I needed to give up my dream to go to the Olympics because I just wasn't good enough and he Uh, could see uh, and I was at the time I mean I was nine almost ten I was devastated because you know if you're in gymnastics it's your whole life whole life and so I think I had a knowing inside that that really wasn't my calling and I went home devastated but at nine years old I said to myself or God okay if this is not what you've called me to do then I want to find out what you are calling me to do that sounds real mm-hmm. mature for a nine-year-old i'm sure i didn't mm. say it like that so every year at the beginning of the year my birthday is the fifth day of january starting at the beginning of january i'm going to start one new hobby mm. each year and do it for 365 days and if that is what i'm called to do then i will continue if not i will start a new hobby Aww. and i will do that every single year because it was exciting and new because now i didn't have to focus all on gymnastics right and so every year starting at 10 I did a new hobby 
And I loved it because for one mm-hmm. full year, every day I could focus on that one thing. And instead of just being all gymnast, I could now be the most well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. Not great necessarily at anything for 365 days, but I didn't realize it at the time, but it was all stepping stones for what I was called to do. Mm-hmm. So I did things like first year, I decided that I would learn Russian. Wow. I know. How old? <laughs> 10. I know that oh sounds, that's, that's as smart as it got, actually. Listen, uh, this is fascinating. that's a unique type of person. So, yes. well, that's because my um, family is from Russia. Okay. My grandparents okay. came from Russia. So there's some reason. And everybody was there. learning Spanish. And I thought, well, I'll learn Russian for all the Russian people that come here. I can converse with them. Uh-huh. And so I put a sticker on everything like that. This pillow was, you know, whatever it was in Russian. I did it for a full year and I loved it. I loved knowing that it was going to end in a year. I would just put my all into it. And then um, one, you, you don't have to commit to it forever. Forever. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's amazing now because I still do it. And this is um, 41 years later. Wow. I can sit with anybody and find out what their hobby is. And most likely I can <laughs> say, I did that for 365 days. I love that. So oh, one year man. I bought a harmonica <laughs> and I took it everywhere I went and taught myself how to play the harmonica, knowing at the end of the year, I would put on this recital. So at the end of the year, I always finished this thing wow. and decided, am I going to continue doing this? And the harmonica, it was funny because at the end of that year, I was in college and I realized I hadn't done my concert yet that I do at the end of the year. And I'm like, okay, God, you got to, can we gather a group of people? Like I can't, I'm superstitious a little bit. I can't go to the next year without finishing like uh-huh. this thing. <laughs> and so strong. I it was the last week of the year and I was flying home Remember the Southwest flight? There was one row of seats that faced oh, yeah. the other way. Yeah. So I got on the flight and I was the last one. I was going home to visit my parents. I was the last one on the plane and there was one seat left there. Had and, to fly backwards. And I fly backwards and the pilot came on and he said, I'm sorry to tell you all, but we have to, it's going to be an hour wait. And we're going to push off. We're going to turn the engines off, but we're going to sit here for an hour because of inclement weather. And I thought, what a gift. Mm-hmm. I had learned five Christmas songs from my harmonica all year long. I pulled the harmonica out and did a <sighs> concert for the entire plane of people for 20 minutes. And it oh. was like the whole year of preparation was for the joy of this oh. one moment. All these disgruntled passengers. My point in saying this is that every year at the end of the year. Were they cheering? They it was, well, at first they were like, this is crazy. And then they began to sing along and the mood changed. And I realized this hobby wasn't just about me learning something. Yes. It was about how can it give back each year to the community or to people or to my family. Wow. I bought a pair of ice skates one year, did like private lessons for a whole year. I wow. mean, all kinds of cooking. You're such a self-starter. That, I just wanted to soak up everything that I could. Yeah. Now that Eric, my gymnastic coach, had taken my dream and sort of just thrown it. <laughs> I love so, that you just called him out. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Eric. Uh, yeah, I'm going to make him listen to this Come podcast on, too. Uh, so then it came to the point where I just didn't know what I was called to do. And now I'm almost 30. And I realized, gosh, people know what they want to do by this point. And I thought, maybe I'll go back to what my family did and I'll go to law school. I think that's what my hobby is going to be this year or for the next three years. <laughs> and so I did it. I would I, never say that. I would yeah, never yeah. say my hobby this year well, is going to be law school. You know, I had worked in corporate America and American Airlines and MetLife and all the job titles were community provider relations representatives associate. And I'm like, what does that what? even mean? Yes. I don't even, I want something. And I always heard my entire life adults saying, I have to go to work today or I have to get my kids. Mm. I have to do this. And 
I just thought there's got to be a group of people who wake up and say, I get to go do this because they know they're calling. And I think mm -hmm. that was my search every year in doing hobbies mm -hmm. was when do I get to say I get to because every corporate America job I had believe me, it was my have to. Mm -hmm. And I got mm -hmm. the sick feeling on Sunday night and the elated feeling on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Mm. And I knew that was not what life was about. Yeah. I wanted to find that get to I because I knew it existed. So I thought perhaps it was law school. And so just in my journey of doing these new things each year, I did that. And I loved it. Oh, my mm. goodness. I love school, but do not like the after school, the real <laughs> life. I love school. Love learning. Yeah. I yeah. love the learning. And so I graduated and started to practice law and did the most wonderful kind of law. It was divorce law. So much oh. fun. <laughs> so not much fun. It <laughs> you was get the, to do that. I'm telling you, I love people. I just, you would meet people at the worst time of their life. Yeah. Great, great people. Hardest time. Of, and I was just happy. Mm -hmm. And somebody would come in and put a bunch stack of paper and this is for deposition. This is for all the finances. And I had zero interest. I wanted to love on them. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to go to court and fight. I didn't like that whole world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my like, God, why, what is this about? So I got the opportunity to go back to my law school and teach. Okay. okay. Nice. Um, and I stopped practicing law and began to, uh, I became a professor at university of Tulsa and probably the most underqualified professor, but I just embraced it. And that, it was still a little bit of a have to, even though it was a partial get to, have to. And so I thought, what if I'm around somebody that knows what their get to is? Mm. Then maybe it'll rub off on me. Mm -hmm. hmm. What's the secret? How yeah. can we crack What's the this secret? Code? And so I opened my Bible and it said, go to the Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs> and um, I felt like I, I would watch Oprah growing up and I felt like she really loved what she did. Yeah. She was good at it. She had a gift for talking with people in such a way that you never felt like it was an interview. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I just want to go watch her. Mm -hmm. I'd grown up watching her on TV. And so I was going to make it my hobby that year to get a ticket to the Oprah Winfrey show. Literally, that was going to be my hobby. I'd finished uh, law school and <laughs> I was actually practicing law and this was going to be my hobby and so I just called thinking I'll get the ticket and that's what I'll do this year. Well, it's almost easier to win the Powerball oh. at wow. 900 million than it is to get a ticket to the Oprah show. Hmm. So the whole year I tried and could never get through. And if I ever did get through, it was we're already full. And hmm. then when you tell me no, I want to get it even more. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so I would just sit there and think, I've got to figure a way to get there before she retires uh -huh. or before she dies. And so the next year came, still couldn't get a ticket. And I thought, how hard can this be? Mm -hmm. So after a few years, I just thought there's got to be a back door to get in. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. So I got on the website and it said, um, do you want to be on the show? Wow. And I thought, <laughs> okay, well, wow. that will get me to the show. <laughs> I'll be on the show. And I love it. And so I saw a list of five things that she was looking for people to be on the show. And you could send her an email and tell her about your story. And the first thing on the list, the very first thing, and it almost had my name next to it, which huh. is how much it fit. It said, are you a regifter? If so, tell us your story. And hmm. I mean, I had stories. My mom never let me or my brothers go to TGMY to buy gifts for our friends' birthdays because she believed her closet full of gifts that she had received 
that we could go shopping in that closet, in her regifting closet. I hated it because I would give age inappropriate gifts to my 10 year old friends <laughs> and I was giving my mom's gifts. And I said, mom, I will never regift when I get out of this house. You've made me do it my entire life. I just want to buy gifts. And you know how when we say we're never going to do something that yeah, our parents that do and then we become so good, so good at it. I had the best regifting closet after college. I lived for my birthdays, not because I wanted presents for myself, because I wanted to make this regifting closet the most glorious regifting <laughs> wow. closet. I loved it. It's funny. And then I got married and my mother-in-law had given me a gift the year before. It was just like the sewing kit and cookbook. And I had already been there, done that. I'd already I'd done it, it was as a hobby. And I didn't want to do it. I <laughs> yeah. didn't like it. And I put it in the closet, forgot that she gave it to me. Because I'd studied so hard for the bar after law school, your head is so crammed with information. And I wrapped it right back up and gave it to her when it was her birthday the following year. Well, it was awkward when she opened it. Mm. And so I had some funny stories like this. And I sat down, I wrote Oprah, and I just thought, okay, well, whatever happens, happens. And two hours later, my secretary called me and she said, "Uh, Jill, Maria from the Oprah show is on the phone and she wants to talk to you. And I thought, ah, it's happening. My get to, it's coming. I can almost see it. And then Maria said, hello, Jill, we just received your email. We would love to fly out tomorrow to Tulsa and film your gift closet. And and we're doing a show about etiquette and we would love to um, just feature you. And I thought, okay, this will be fun. Yeah. They flew out to Tulsa the next day and my gift closet was looking sort of skinny. So I didn't have money. And I went across to Utica Square, bought as much as I could, knowing I was going to take it back the next day. And filled this gift closet up and they showed up and interviewed me. It was really fun because here I was, I just wanted a ticket in the audience. And now I am being interviewed for a feature on a show on etiquette. And so they flew back and she didn't say anything about me coming out to the show. And I am a firm believer that I don't like to pound doors down. I just like to walk up to the door and want it to open if it's my door. Uh And she called me the next day and she said, the producers loved what we filmed at your house and they would love to fly you out here and your husband and sit on the front row. You won't be interviewed, but they will just say, thank you for being here. And I'm like, this is perfect. This is my (laughs) dream just to be there to observe. And so we flew out there and they did my makeup and it's everything that you would think of. Just they treated. And how us. old were you right now? I was, um, I was 34. Okay. Um, so, so yesterday. <laughs> how many days did it take since you 48 sh- hours since I wrote Oprah? Okay. 48 hours. But how many days? Cause you had 365 yes. that you didn't get it. Four and then years. you're in year four years, four years. <gasps> What okay. happened within the year? And I didn't want to start a new hobby until this one finished. You're and one of the most persistent people I've ever no seen kidding. in my life. No kidding. Well, I just felt like if it was a dream I had, I didn't, or a goal that I had, I just didn't want to just leave it on the shelf. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting on the front row feeling really, really good. Like I did the day I got married. Somebody did my hair, my makeup. <laughs> I, they sent me to Nordstrom's. I mean, I had, it was just an amazing morning. And then Maria came up to me and said, Jill, we have a change of plans. And I was like, what? I've waited four years. And she said, Oprah would like you to be on the couch uh, with her. And she wants to interview you. What (laughs) in the world? Literally right before the show started. (laughs) Go big or go home. Exactly. And so I said, okay. And there were 300 people in the audience, but it would air to 20 million people. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care. I wasn't nervous. 
I mean, after all, I've grown up watching Oprah. So she was my friend in my mind. And I sat on the couch and she sits down next to me and she said, Jill, she said, hello, Jill. And she said, I love your shoes. And that was it. That's all she said. But when you feel like you're friends with somebody, what I heard her say was, I'd love to take you to lunch after the show. (laughs) We're going to go hang out. And then I look across the stage and there are two etiquette experts from Canada and they looked and smiled at me. They said, love your shoes. And, And it just was the most mountaintop experience that I'm Mm. on the stage of a place I just wanted to be in the audience. I can't even describe it to you because it just felt weirdly surreal. Yeah. Mm. And then the show started just like that. That was the only conversation we had. And they aired the clip and it was funny because it was a sort of lighthearted thing. Mm -hmm. And Maria had told me before the show started, I want you to tell your three stories on the stage with Oprah. You know, it was going to be like 15 minute segment and tell Mm. your stories. And I thought, I can tell stories. Mm. And so it aired and it was funny. And Oprah looked at me and she said, wow, now you're exposed to the whole world. Everybody knows you're a gift. How does it feel? And I started to talk for a minute. And then she said, let's go to the etiquette experts and see what they think. Now I had Googled the night before, what do etiquette experts think about regifting? And, you know, they said, as long as you're not outright lying about it. And so I was like, they seem to be okay with it. And so she asked them and in one moment the mountaintop experience became the lowest valley because these women looked at me with a smile and you know if you're giving somebody bad news like you should wipe the smile off your face first Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. they were smiling so i thought they were going to say we love jill Uh. this is so much she's so much fun we love her and they said oprah uh, we think jill's tacky and what she's doing is just rude and here I am thinking this is just a lighthearted, fun subject. Oh. They said she's she, like basically that I was lying to people. Give me their numbers. <laughs> How is that etiquette to be so rude that, to you? Right. <laughs> they needed to read their own book on etiquette because I sat on that stage and heard the complete opposite mm. of what I was for certain they would be saying to me. I mean, in my mind, we were all going to lunch afterwards. Mm. And in that moment, I came just crashing down the kind of news you get. If you blink, you'll cry. So you keep your eyes open. Wow. And I immediately saw these two girls as dream stealers Hmm. because they took an experience that I thought was going to be amazing. And they stole this, what I thought I could find a get to in. I was closer to finding that. And just like that, it was over. I didn't get Hmm. to tell a single story. I just tried to defend myself. Hmm. And I left there and I said, and we went to Gino's Pizza in Chicago and I'm staring at, if you've ever been to Gino's in Chicago and all this writing on the wall and I'm looking at all these people that have written stuff on the wall and all I can do is cry as I'm staring at that and this moment of clarity came to me as I'm staring at all the writing. You know, if you're really given some bad news that just puts a fog in your life for a day or a year or five years, but sometimes God gives you a moment of clarity mm-hmm. that you then go right back to a fog I now say to write it down Mm -hmm. because you won't remember it sometimes because the fog is so thick Mm -hmm. that unless you write down what he said. So as I'm sitting there crying, just feeling devastated. Now, I know there's much greater devastation in the world, much greater. This was just my devastation at that moment. Mm -hmm. I said to my husband, Terry, I said, I do not know why I would go from a high mountain to the lowest valley within like 15 minutes or why God would even allow that to happen Mm -hmm. when I was happy just being in the back row. Mm -hmm. But I have a very strong, strong feeling that I'm going to know 
the purpose of this before I die. As a matter of fact, if I would have had 15 great minutes on the stage, whatever's going to happen in my life would not have happened if I had a great 15 minutes on the stage. Mm -hmm. And then I went to a fog and I went Mm -hmm. home, returned the stuff to Utica Square, emptied out the rest of the closet in black trash bags, handed to Terry and said, I don't want to open this closet ever again. And I'm never going to regift again, nor will I watch Oprah. Not because I was mad at her, mm-hmm. because the pain of, what, the whole experience. of what I thought it could be. Yeah. And it wasn't so much that I was embarrassed. I can handle embarrassment. It was that the hope that I had was I was crushed on the mm-hmm. inside. And I didn't I didn't watch Oprah. I didn't regift, didn't open the closet. And um, five years went by mm-hmm. five years. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do a hobby because doing hobbies got me to Oprah. Yeah, And so five years went by and I took a sabbatical from teaching law, had two girls and five years passed. And one night at two o'clock in the morning, I was tired of not living, mm. of not using the gifts that God had given me. And I sat up in bed and I called these girls Canada. They sort of represented all of Canada for me. <laughs> and <laughs> if you're listening from Canada, we still now love you. I love, love you. Canada. <laughs> and I sat up in bed. Everybody was sleeping. And I said, I forgive Canada, the dream stealers, Mm -hmm. what I thought were my dream stealers. Mm -hmm. I forgive them. And all of a sudden, it was as if I lost 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. I felt light. And it wasn't that I was resenting them so much like I was just in deep resentment. I just ignored it. That was my big mountain I needed to run towards. And I ignored it. Mm -hmm. And after five years, I just said no longer. And I opened the closet door that was been empty for five years. And I said, God, would you give me an idea that I can fill this closet back up again and I'll start regifting whatever's in that closet. Mm -hmm. And since I'd worked for American Airlines for seven years, I would travel places. And as a memory of the beautiful place I would travel to, I would buy a bracelet, a big cuff. I love cuffs. And so I opened my cuff drawer and I looked at them. This is in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And I said, (laughs) that's it. I'm going to teach myself how to make cuffs with words on the cuffs that I wished I would have had when I was going through the last five years. Mm -hmm. Faith in God includes faith in his timing, hope one day at a time, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things that I wish I could have just had as a reminder. And so I got up that night, went to the computer and typed in, how do you make cuffs? How do you engrave cuffs? And I soaked it as if it was a new hobby. It had been five years that Mm -hmm. I just was dormant. Mm -hmm. And we had to catch up. So yeah, go in. And so I never wanted to sleep after that. Sleeping was it was just got in the way. As a matter of fact, I almost forgot I had children and a husband. (laughs) That's how much I turned the back room upside down. I was so in love with this process Mm. that God had just sort of dropped this idea, make cuffs. Mm -hmm. And I would hammer, I would dye leather. I ruined an entire room, but one by one, I started filling the closet back up again with such joy because I forgave this dream stealer, these dream stealers Mm. that um, when the closet got completely full, this was four months of this, didn't even tell people what I was doing. After all, I I mean, I had taken a sabbatical. I was just home. The minute I put my kids to bed, I would throw myself into this. Like anybody Mm. that has a hobby. You're just excited. I was so excited. And then when the closet got full, I said, okay, God, now what? Uh Mm. And he said, start putting them on your wrist and give them away every day. 
and I'm like to family and friends because that's I'll do that. Yeah. I'm not going to just go give them to strangers mm. and I'd never say never. And when he, <laughs> never. you know, you can't not do something because you it won't let you go. This mm-hmm. didn't let me go. Mm. Yep. And I opened the closet. And the first day that I did this, I put three on my wrist and I always put them on my left wrist because the right one were bracelets that my daughters had given me or my mm. husband had given me. And so I went across the street to the grocery store and I just felt that somebody was in there that I was supposed to give the bracelet to. Like my knower, the Holy Spirit, this would lead me to that person. And when I walked in, it was packed with people. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't want to do this, God. Don't make me go to a stranger in a grocery store. And when I walked in, I saw her and it was a girl that I'd never seen before. And she was checking people out. And I got in her line because I couldn't not Mm-hmm. do it. Yep. And I walked up and there were still five people behind me when I got up to the front of the line. And uh, I thought, okay, here goes. I don't care if people are watching me. And I didn't even look down. I pulled a bracelet off my wrist and handed it to her. And I said, I know, I don't know you, but I feel like I'm supposed to give this to you. And she started crying mm-hmm. just uncontrollably. And she said, I've, I've never seen you before either. And I don't know how you would know this. You would have no way of knowing this. But yesterday I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Hmm. And when I was in my in the doctor's office and got the diagnosis, through my tears, I said, God, would you give me a sign of hope that everything is going to be okay? Hmm. And I looked down and, and it was a pink bracelet that I had given her. And wow. she said, I just want to thank you for being that sign of hope. Wow. And it was that moment that I found my get to because I walked back to the car and just sat there and said, this was the moment I had at Gino's pizza. When I said someday I will know why that 15 minutes happened the way it did. And every day for the rest of my life, I want to put bracelets on and then just give them away Mm -hmm. being led by the Holy spirit. And the more I gave away, the more people wanted to come by. I couldn't give them away fast enough people mm-hmm. wanted to buy and mm-hmm. never wanted to be an entrepreneur <laughs> that was because that word meant work and work for me meant have to yeah yeah but finally all these years all the hobbies all the things that god had prepared me for actually came into play mm. by getting to lead a group of amazing people who now can give away and we watched the ripple effect of that so it was absolutely not a story i would have written I see God's hand, even in the full circle part of it, because three years after Rustikuff started, uh, we got a letter from the Oprah Winfrey show. Mm. Hadn't been in touch with them. It was from actually from their magazine. And it, they sent us the March issue of Oprah. And it said, congratulations, Jill. Rustikuff has been chosen to be on the wrist of Oprah Winfrey for the March issue this year. And when I looked down at the cuff, it was a cuff that I had gifted to Gail King, her best friend, mm. who used to wear that cuff on the cbs morning show mm. and i'm staring at this magazine thinking is this a regifted cuff that oprah is wearing on the magazine oh my word that's so great and i hilarious i said god your sense of humor i could never have written this story no kidding no matter how great of a writer anybody you can't write a story like that and so um that takes way longer answer than you than you asked for but that takes us it. to the present I, oh my word <laughs> i know i i've got some things i just want to point out here in that this is a fascinating story that had me spellbound but 
of course, the purpose that God had in your pain is so obvious Mm. and so incredible. And it's just a great reminder for all of us that he doesn't waste any things in our life, Mm -hmm. that he uses it all. He uses the pain. But with your persistence, I just saw you from 10 years old and all the years of trying new things going, man, this girl is living. This Mm -hmm. is living when you just Mm -hmm. are full of adventure and new ideas. But then you stopped living once you got that wound and that unforgiveness Mm -hmm. that you said you kind of put it under the rug. Mm -hmm. But it's so interesting to highlight that the vision came once you just released it, Mm -hmm. when you said, I forgive them. Mm -hmm. And that the vision came once you had let go of those things that were holding you back. Yeah. And so that's just some highlights for me. And I want to say with the story of the bracelets, I began to hear about you uh, because of that second round in Oprah of, oh, these rustic cuffs, and they were featured on uh, on Oprah and everything. But the thing that was always spoken of was that you don't keep your you know cuffs forever. You give them. Mm-hmm. And that just sparked my heart because I like to be a generous giver as well. And so it, it does something in your heart when you hear that because you think, oh, I need to be giving and not holding on to my things. Mm-hmm. We aren't made for this world. We might as well just, you know, enjoy it for what the time that mm-hmm. it's meant for us in our lives and then pass it on. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think you did that in my life and we're just, you know, meeting. Um, we've only met through letter writing and mm-hmm. things. So how many countless people have this same impact of generosity mm-hmm. that started through not just Jill and Rustic Cuff, but through your pain, mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. something that was actually beautiful yeah, and that the enemy tried to steal. So yeah. exactly. It makes me think of that verse in Proverbs that talks about where there is no vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we're kind of just going about with life with no real purpose mm-hmm. or meaning or vision, and obviously God has given us a purpose, but if we're not tapped into that, it can feel a little more empty. A couple notes that I just made. Sometimes God puts things on our heart that we don't understand until later, like randomly, I'm supposed to go to Oprah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's working all things together for good, but there's this invisible hand that we don't see. And so it's like this piece and this Mm, piece, kind of like a puzzle box. Like we don't see the whole thing. We just see the individual pieces, right? Yeah. And then I loved your willingness once you came to that place of, okay, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Your willingness to go there, your willingness Mm. to do it, your willingness to obey. And you said, I couldn't not. Yeah. And I know you were asking me about starting the podcast before we yeah. started this recording. And I was telling you that it just got to a place of, I felt like I was being disobedient if I didn't take next steps yeah. mm-hmm. because it was just so strong on my heart, even though it kind of felt silly and I felt embarrassed yeah. and all these things. And so I just love that. And then finally, it's interesting how you were talking about, God, why did you allow this? Mm-hmm. It's interesting how God allowed you to feel dishonored Mm. and discouraged and frustrated, Mm -hmm. knowing how important it is to you now to honor others Mm. and to give generously Mm. and to show love. That's important to me. Like I want to encourage people and lift them up and and let them see, you know, what God sees in them. Yeah. Um, But it's interesting how he allowed you to feel that. And Mm -hmm. if you hadn't have felt that pain, Mm -hmm. do you think that you would be where you are now? Mm -hmm. No, it's so funny because everybody has that purpose, that unique thing that God has called you to do. But so many people, when they get to that pain, they get stuck. Their feet stay in this quicksand. Or they feel like they're doing Mm -hmm. something wrong. Yes. But I didn't even realize 
that I needed to release all of Canada. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even yeah. know what that would do for me. And yeah. had I known that maybe I would have done it sooner, mm -hmm. but the pain I, I now embrace when pain like that happens instead of, mm -hmm. right. I just read a book called, um, embrace the suck. It's by a Navy seal. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how most people just run away. They ignore mm -hmm. it until it goes away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now I, what I start to do when I feel that pain I felt in Oprah, I recognize that as, oh, that's going to be something that is going to change me wow. and catapult me to something better and new. And now but train I, us. How, yes. how do we get that mindset? Yeah. How do we go there right away? Yeah. Uh -huh. To embrace it. So, for example, I told you I was in Sedona last week. Yes. I am not a hiker. I do not like snakes. I don't even own hiking shoes, boots, mm -hmm. anything like that. And I thought there's something really good on the other side of this hike because mm -hmm. my tendency would be to stay in the warm, cozy bed, just relax and look at the mountains. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to go to the mountain? <laughs> but I got to climb it. But I had this sense that something really great is on the opposite side of pain. Yeah. And pain for me meant walking six and a half miles by myself with the possibility mm. of snakes. And I just decided to do it. I mean, I didn't have to, but I wanted to. And I will tell you the experience I had on the other side of this hike I didn't even know was possible mm. because I did the hike. Now, a lot of times when we have suffering, you have to go through it to get to the other side. This, mm -hmm. I had a choice. I didn't have to go on the hike. But my point is the suffering, people forget, it actually refines us mm -hmm. right, to a place that, but for the suffering, you yeah. would not be the same person. Yeah. And now we have a paper shredder at the office. And we have times where I have everybody write a name Ask God to bring somebody to your mind, your Canada, mm -hmm. and come up to the front when you're ready and put the paper in the shredder. And the stories that have come out of our office, people they didn't even know they huh. needed to write the name down, hmm. that you're right. The vision comes when you say, okay, you're not a dream stealer. You just happen to be used by God yes. in my life for a much bigger purpose. Mm. And I actually am super glad for that suffering because if I had good 15 minutes on Oprah, mm -hmm. it would have lasted 15 minutes. Yeah. So mm. I, I now run to it. It's the only way to get the great thing on the other side. Of yeah. It. Okay. So you're a Christian. Yes. You're a businesswoman. And I think of the verse Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work mm -hmm. at it with all your heart mm -hmm. is serving the Lord, mm -hmm. not man. And whatever means whatever. So whether someone's running a business like you are or raising kids or working at a coffee shop or a hospital or a church, or like right now I've been telling my kids, you know, getting an education or playing on a team, playing sports, whatever you do, do mm -hmm. it as though you're serving him because you are and nothing done for him is ever wasted. And so as a follower of Christ, who's also a rock star in the business world, how does that perspective affect how you live and how you lead? Yeah. Um, we we just recently got into Disney. Rusticuff has a store at Disney now. And during the year-long yeah, interview, it is really uh -huh. exciting. We yeah. should all go and see it. Oh, it is so much fun. It really And it's a dream that I didn't even know I had until it started happening. Oh, I love um, that. But the interview process was a very long one, you can imagine, for Disney. And the first question that the vice president asked me during this interview process was, do you talk about... God to every person that walks in the store. And he was a Jewish guy. <laughs> and that was the tricky question because they're looking for a certain answer. And I said, you know what? We don't have to, 
because it just comes through what we do. So that's right. Answer your question, Jen. I don't hide it as a Christian businesswoman, but I don't have to go up and hand somebody a track Mm -hmm. because really when you take a bracelet off that says hope, that's more Jesus Mm -hmm. than they sometimes see or hear through somebody trying to preach with the Bible in their face. They felt it. They felt a Christian T-shirt doesn't make you exactly Christian. It's your actions. Exactly. But this just happens to be bracelets. This company, it really could have been anything. I picture God saying, let's find somebody who doesn't already have a preconceived idea on how to run a business, Mm -hmm. but who's willing to embrace something that I give her. And let's make it bracelets. Let's make it words that she's not ashamed to put on a bracelet anything. Mm -hmm. And let's bring together a group of people who love Jesus. Mm -hmm. And let's see how far into the world, even Disney World, can my word be spread. So it didn't have to be bracelets. It could have been anything. Mm -hmm. And I am grateful to be used, feel extremely underqualified to be a leader and running a business. But I just continue to do the things that God has gifted me in and ask for everybody around me to, I mean, I can only do this, these little things and you put these people in place. And I'm so, so glad for Eric for squashing my dream then because (laughs) but for Eric, I would not have started a hobby every year. And, but for Canada, I would not have emptied a closet. And, but for the pain of emptying Mm -hmm. a closet, I wouldn't have wanted to fill it back up. Mm -hmm. And so I now like to sit down and write thank you notes, mental thank you notes to all the people that said no. That's mm-hmm. great. To me or That's or great. hurt me because really God just allowed them to be used for something greater in his kingdom yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. So. That's so good. I think that you are so strong and courageous that you started off this podcast saying like you didn't want to be a leader and (laughs) all these things, but here you are, you know, leading a business and an author that I don't think you mentioned uh, has a new book out and a podcast that we haven't even talked about. We should talk about those things. I know, things like that. I just see that you've been about doing hard things your whole life. Like you've been in the practice of that Mm. year after year, starting something new Mm. um, and then to start a business. It's just like, oh, just a starter. And what I love is that now Rustic Cup is 10 years, 10 years this year, 10 years this year. Congratulations that once you got to your get to, it wasn't just the 365 or uh, four years until I got the goal that you kept going and you're getting to live in this calling. Uh, What I want us to note is that it came through starting which starting is always hard Mm -hmm. because it takes courage. It takes faith. And, you know, one thing that we can take away from this is just the practice of living in an uncomfortable zone Mm -hmm. of, and, and I believe you were prompted by the Holy Spirit, even at the age of 10, but just beginning new things that mm. sound hard mm-hmm. that the doing hard things is, you know, just as such a takeaway for me. And as you have uh, walked through this last year in the pandemic and everything, you, you know, mentioned like you had to step into some hard things, but you really were used to that. And yeah, I was used to that, but it was a whole new kind of hard for me. And not just because we had to shut the stores down for five months or it was new with people. Mm. Um, you you cannot make everybody happy. And for some reason, it felt like for nine years, I was able to make most people happy. And this was a 
really a stripping down and pruning of mm. me and uh, thinking I can do this. I can manage everything to where you just feel like you're prostrate before God and say, I can't. I just absolutely can't. Mm -hmm. And I now love the pruning. I love mm. the pruning process because I will not be changed. But for that, not to mention that I did get a terrible case of COVID that landed me straight in the hospital mm. that um, was really hard, mm -hmm. but the best, best thing, because the lessons that came out of that would not have learned, but for being right in that hospital alone mm. for, and it was a 20 day oh my struggle with COVID, mm. but God taught me things during the hardest time mm -hmm. that I, I, I'm telling you, I would not have learned. What was your biggest um, takeaway? Biggest takeaway. I'm so glad I learned this was that most people say, um, is there anything I can do for you? I just heard that you lost somebody in your yeah. life. Come, let me know. I'm here if, if I can do anything. You no, know, when mm -hmm. I got COVID, I had beautiful texts and emails yeah. uh -huh. and calls from people. Yeah. I am not the kind of person that will say, yeah. do you mind taking lasagna over to my children? Now uh, my youngest only either. eats the bread. Yeah. And my biggest takeaway is don't ask, just do. do. Wow. Because there, there were a handful of people that would literally show up at my door and say, I don't know what your children eat. I'm not even sure, but I'm bringing you food. Or uh -huh. they'd come to the hospital and say, I know you like to paint. Here's some paint brushes and paint. I don't know exactly if this is right. I'm just doing. Because if you ask me, I will say, don't, I'm don't good. worry about it. Yes. I'm fine. Nobody's so going to say. Yes. My whole life. I even did it leading up to COVID. Good hey, intentions. But yes. Jen, let me know if you need anything. Sure. You are never going to let me know. Mm -hmm. So now I just do, do and wow. do in a way that because I know I never forget the people that just did. I never forget them. It's yeah. True. And I won't wait until it's perfect. Like I got to know what Amy likes to eat and what her kids like. I just do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm um, also great. the other really, really big thing I learned is that when you are in that weakened state, I mean, Netflix was my friend for a little bit, the things that you put in your mind, the true crime shows, whatever somebody's telling you to watch, it affects you in such a great way. I, I couldn't even have any part of that once mm -hmm. I felt like the breath was literally being taken from me mm -hmm. from just Netflix things that I mm -hmm. was watching. Mm -hmm. I had to fill the room up with worship and what goes in, the poison that goes in, mm -hmm. it will choke the breath out of you even mm. more than COVID would. So wow. those are two big things. That's another podcast. Those are excellent. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> another podcast. <laughs> so just your willingness, your grit, your perseverance, all of those things are so inspiring to me. Um, and I know probably people listening, we all have something that's yeah. going through our mind. Like, God, I don't know what you want to do with this, mm -hmm. but I want to offer it to you. Mm -hmm. yes. And it just made me think that God can do a lot with a seed, mm -hmm. which is what you were yes. doing. You were planting seeds, throwing mm -hmm. seeds out there, but he can't do as much with nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if we're just planting seeds, like he will choose yeah. what he's going to make grow. Yeah. And we're just being obedient. So I want to hear a little bit about your book okay. and your podcast okay. before we wrap up. Give okay. us a little sliver so we can know more. Okay. So one of my other nevers was I never wanted to write a book, <laughs> but through the publisher, um, was charisma. And they asked if I would write the story of Rusty Cuff. And I said, well, I'll write that, but I want to be able to tell other people's stories that have happened through wearing the quote bracelets. Aww. And so it's called the kindness effect. And it is the first third is about the story of Rusty Cuff. And then the chapter titles are the quotes that I would put on the bracelets and it's different stories relating to that. And then we I do a podcast called finding your get to, and have all kinds of different guests on, but it's just basically everybody has a get to. And the thing is, everybody thinks I'm not really going to live until I get to my get to. But now what I know is 
the hard things I was doing, those were my get to. I get to go through this hard thing Uh because this is part of my journey. So as far as I'm concerned, there are no have tos. Even when I have to go pick up my kids at midnight at their friend's house and I am sound asleep. I prayed oh, to have those children. Yeah, I have three miscarriages. I prayed for those children. And now I get to go yeah. pick them up. And actually it brings a new joy when I, as I'm driving in midnight in my pajamas, because for this, I have prayed for yeah. God's purpose. I prayed. So any hardship, you get to be the one. That, I get, get to be the one. I get to be the one. I get to go through the hard thing because that is what God has called me to do. So now I raise have to. And I tell people, just because you're not in the job that you think you're in, mm-hmm. this is your get to you get to do this to impact the people around wow. you right now because you might have something that you enjoy later that's mm-hmm. better you think is better but truly this is your get to if you're submitted to what god wants you to do this is your get to and it changes your perspective i yes. mean we are all in things we yes. dislike doing and when you look at it like hey i get to do this because it might not be fun for me but it is really touching somebody else mm-hmm. even if i have to let somebody go let's say and that is hard for me. Mm-hmm. I run from that, but I get to do that because this yeah. is that plan for their life right yeah. now. And yeah. you get to send them with get grace. I get to, yeah, I get to do this because it's part of God's purpose. So that has, that has drastically changed the way of things that I used to dread. I now get to, because wow. a lot of the stuff I've prayed for, yeah. Yeah. a lot of the things people pray for this job or you pray for this house. Now you're like, this dumb house is falling apart. Yes. Right? Hold on. You get to take care of this, this house because so you pray for this house. You're yeah, preaching. so good. Did you say you would never preach because you're yeah, preaching? Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you're a Christian, you're in ministry, even exactly. if it's not vocational. Always. And so, yeah. We are ambassadors. Just, man, thank you for yeah. the wisdom and love that you are spouting. Thank you, guys. Wow, Jill, this has been incredibly encouraging. And I'd love for you just to share some final thoughts with us before we close. Yeah. Um, First of all, thank you for having me on, both it's of you. Awesome. It's an honor to be here and to finally meet both of you. Yay. I, Yay for something in person. Yes. 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 Uh, I just want to encourage people that when you walk into our corporate offices, what's on the side, uh, on one side of the front hallway, it says, don't compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter 20. Mm. And I started at chapter one and there were a lot of people at chapter 20. And if I would have looked at them and kept staring at them, I don't think I would have ever gotten past the first page of chapter one. Mm-hmm. Or if I would have waited till it was, seemed as perfect as chapter 20, right. I really would huh. never have started. Just been paralyzed. Yeah. yeah. And so I realized that you can gain wisdom from the chapter 20s, but you have to start with what is in your hand. Yeah. Just whatever God put in my hand, what is there? You start with that little thing. If you wait until it's a beautiful tree and Mm -hmm. you have a little seed start there. And the same thing I would say with anybody who's listening to this, who is in chapter 20 and you're comparing back to somebody who is in chapter five, who Mm -hmm. might be on a upward trajectory. And right now you are stalled Mm -hmm. at chapter 20. You can't compare somebody else's chapter five to your chapter 20. Mm -hmm. We always look at it like, oh, the chapter 20s are always good, but really People have been in things for a long time and sometimes it gets stalled or Mm. they need to be pruned. And you look back at people that God is seemingly blessing right now. And so you're comparing your chapter back to them. I would just say that my final word of encouragement is just keep looking at what is in your hand right now Mm -hmm. and take the wisdom that you can learn from anybody else. It's not like put blinders on that you can't see anybody else. Take that wisdom 
and be grateful that you can learn from them. But mm-hmm. your only main focus is what is God telling me right now with the seed that is in my hand right now. And gosh, what a freedom to mm-hmm. not have any jealousy or envy of people that are in further places or behind you. I might have the saying that live like everyone loves you because it will change how you walk into a room. I love that. Uh, and not in an arrogant way. Yeah. You walk into a room. Um, can I tell one last story? Of course. Do it. Um, the Sorry. reason I say that is because Ed Sheeran, you know, Ed Sheeran uh-huh. singer, had an album that came out a few years ago. And he loved this album. And he put it out on Twitter. And he had millions of people that loved it. But he saw that there were a handful of people that were really criticizing him on Twitter. And what happened is when he went on tour for this album, when he would play to the thousands of people, instead of thinking, gosh, they love this, all he could think about were the few that hated it. And he would look in the crowd and say, I wonder if any of those people are in this room. And it would Uh change how he played Mm. Uh until one day he said, I'm going to shut down the comments Uh and I'm going to do what I was called to do. And he stopped watching, stopped reading. Then when he went back on tour, he said, I'm going to live as if everyone loves this album. And it changed the way he then played. Now, it was probably still the same people that liked and didn't like. But he said, I'm going to live as if everyone loves this album. And I loved it so Uh much that I adopted it. And and I tell my whole staff, live like everyone loves you. Because when you walk into a meeting, instead of focusing on yourself, people don't like me. People aren't going to like my idea. Uh You now have time to focus on other people. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not even arrogant to live like everyone loves you. You're just not focused on you anymore. I'm walking yeah. into a room as if you love me. So I can now and focus I love you. So on I you. you. If high school students could get a hold of this, right. they don't walk into a room thinking I look stupid or people don't like me. Yep. You walk into a room because you know whose you are. Mm-hmm. Then you live like other people love you, like Ed Sheeran did. And it changes how you live. then perform, how you relate to other people. And that's, I just got excited. That's that I'm powerful. Sorry. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting us sit at your feet oh, and just glean please. from your yes. experiences and your wisdom and what you've learned. Truly, truly, thank you so much yes. for you, taking the time to just give us a glimpse. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, we're honored. Me. And uh, I told you we needed extra podcast. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> I know. So Thank you, guys. Y'all, Jill's words reminded me that work is a good thing. Both inside and outside the home, work was a part of God's initial design. Before the fall, before sin came into the world, people were told to work the garden and to keep it, both creativity and maintenance. And I just loved what Jill said there at the end. You have to start with what's in your hand. It actually made me think of the boy in scripture with the loaves and the fish, or of Moses with his staff, or the widow with those empty oil jars. So what do you already have? What thing, what idea, what opportunity, what resource do you get to leverage? Y'all, as Jill just showed us, we can find joy in doing hard work and spreading His love. So as always, we'll link all the resources mentioned in the conversation notes. You can subscribe for free in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher. You can also connect with us on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast. And until we meet you right back here, don't forget, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess. Mm -hmm.